history of the bands. Welcome, welcome, welcome to History of the Bands. I am your host, the human Google machine, Brandon Withers. How is everybody? I's are doing good. You know, you know, we're, we're on episode three now. Like, that's a big accomplishment, right? <laughs> anyway, on this episode, I will discuss the grunge band known as Alice in Chains formed in 1987 in Seattle, Washington. Often associated with grunge music, Alice in Chains' sound incorporated heavy metal elements. The band is known for its distinctive vocal style, which often included the harmonized vocals between singers. Kind of like Tears for Fears. Yes, I went there. (laughs) Alice in Chains has released six studio albums. They have sold more than 30 million records worldwide. The band has had 18 top 10 songs on the chart, five number one hits, and received 11 Grammy Award nominations. They were ranked number 34 on VH1's 100 Greatest Artists of Hard Rock. So let's jump right in. Class is in session. As always, let's start with the members on this band, starting with Jerry Cantrell. Born Jerry Fulton Cantrell Jr. on March 18, 1966 in Tacoma, Washington. His parents are Gloria Jean Crumpos and Jerry Fulton Cantrell. He grew up in Spanaway and is the oldest of three children. His father is an army veteran and his mother was an amateur organist and melodic player who worked as an administrative assistant for the Clover Park School District in Pierce County, Washington. One of his grandmothers was from Norway. After Jerry learned to write, he documented his goal on Dr. Seuss's book, My Book About Me, filling in the sentences. You know, like, when I grow up, I want to be a, you know, with the words, rock star. Filling in the sentence, when I grow up, I want to be a, and then he put, a rock star. His dad is a combat veteran of the Vietnam War. Jerry's first childhood memory is meeting his dad for the first time after he had returned home from war when he was three years old. Due to the strain of war, his parents divorced when he was seven years old, and Jerry was raised by his mother and his grandmother in Tacoma. The family lived on welfare and food stamps. His first job was delivering newspapers. Jerry went to high school at Spanaway Lake High School, and before owning his first guitar, he was a member of the high school choir. 
In his senior year, Jerry became choir president, and the quartet sang the national anthem at the basketball games and won competitions with the highest marks achievable. Now, I did not see that one coming, guys. <laughs> Jerry picked up the guitar for the first time when he was in the sixth grade. At that time, he played clarinet, and his mother was dating a guitar player who handed his guitar to Jerry and taught him a couple of the chords. Well, this impressed his mama, so she bought him an acoustic guitar. It would not be until he was at the age of 17 that he began seriously playing an electric guitar. Now, there is more, but I got to move on to the next band member, and that is Sean Kinney. Born Sean Howard Kinney on May 27, 1966 in Renton, Washington. His father was a police officer and his mother was a city official. Sean's interest in music was developed at the like, really, really early age of five when he got his first drum kit. By the age of nine, he was the drummer of his grandfather's band, the Crosscats, and was traveling the Northwest playing small venues. Sean grew up in Renton where he attended Liberty Senior High School Next, the bass man, Mike Enzi, born Michael Allen X on May 14, 1966 in L.A. There is not much about him, just he began his career in music by playing guitar and the saxophone. He played with the great Ozzy Osbourne for a few years in the late 80s and early 90s. Now on to William Duvall, born William Bradley Duvall on September 6, 1967 in Washington, D.C., his grandmother was of Dutch and North African descent. When Duvall was 14 years old, he moved to Atlanta, Georgia with his mother and stepfather, who had taken a job in the city. Duvall has cited Jimi Hendrix as his early influence after listening to his cousin's copy of Band of Gypsies when he was 8 years old. Duvall's career started in the early 80s. His first band was Awareness Void of Chaos, in 1983, Duval helped found the controversial Atlanta-based hardcore punk band Neon Christ. Neon Christ disbanded in 1986, reuniting for one-time show featuring the original members on December 24, 2004. In 1987, Duval formed the final offering, but the drummer's heroin habit hindered them from working consistently. The drummer died of an overdose in 1994. Duval spent the late 80s with a Hendrix-inspired band called No Walls. No Walls released one self-titled album in 1992 and disbanded that same year. In the late 80s, Duval earned a degree in philosophy with an emphasis on religion from Georgia State University. And now let's talk about one past member, and that is the original singer, Lane Stanley, born Lane Rutherford Stanley on August 22, 1967 in Bellevue, Washington. Lane disliked his middle name Rutherford and would get angry every time someone called him by that name. He legally changed his middle name to Thomas during his teen years because he was a fan of Motley Crue drummer Tommy Lee. Lane joined a rhythm band in Bellevue when he was two or three years old, and he was the youngest in the group. Like, he could barely put sentences together and he was in a group. 
That is kind of mind-blowing. At nine years old, he wrote in his Dr. Seuss book, All About Me, that he wanted to be a singer. Seems like I just spoke about something about that, doesn't it? You know, Jerry wanted to be a rock star. Lane wanted to be a singer. Ooh, the pieces are falling together here. <laughs> Lane was seven years old when his parents divorced, so he was raised by his mother and stepfather, Jim Elmer. He took his stepfather's surname for a little while, so his name was Lane Elmer. Lane was raised in a Christian scientist type, you know, religion, but was very critical of religion in his adult years, kind of like Kurt Cobain was. He got introduced to music through his parents' collection, listening to Black Sabbath and Deep Purple. Lane began playing drums at the age of 12, but Lane had aspirations to become a singer. In 1984, Lane joined a group of Shorewood High School students in a band called Sleaze. In 1985, Lane and his band Sleaze made a cameo in Father Rock, a low-budget movie from Seattle's Public Access Channel. In 1986, Sleaze morphed into Alice N. Chains, you know, with the letter N, not I-N, which was a band where Lane dressed in drag and played speed metal. So this is where we'll pick up on the beginning of the band part, but before... Let's list one more past member, and that is Mike Starr. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey, everyone. Have you ever felt just down and out, depressed, like you need somebody? I've been there before, and when I was like that, I wish I knew about BetterHelp. Now, BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it is 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 25,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel like doing it. You can do it via text message, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions whenever is convenient for you. If your therapist isn't that right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you expect from an in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you. More scheduling, flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash History of the Bands. That is BetterHelp.com slash History of the Bands. And thank you, BetterHelp, for sponsoring this podcast. So when the band was transitioning from Sleaze to Alice in Chains, they went through a few different members 
and came up with the name as a reference to Alice in Wonderland, but put Alice in chains and make it like bondage type stuff. But due to concerns over the references to female bondage, the group ultimately chose to spell it differently to detour any paternal concerns though Lane's mom said that she was still not happy with the name at first. The name change happened in 1986. Lane met Jerry at a party in Seattle around August of 1987. A few months prior, Jerry had watched a concert of Alice in Chains in his hometown and was impressed by Lane's voice. Jerry was homeless after being kicked out of his home, so Lane invited Jerry to live with him. Allison Chains soon disbanded and Lane joined a funk band. Jerry's band, Diamond Lie, broke up and he wanted to form a new band. So Lane gave him the phone number of Melinda Starr, who was the girlfriend of Sean Kinney. Jerry called the number and set up a meeting with Sean. Kinney and his girlfriend came by and listened to Jerry's demos, who mentioned that they needed a bass player to jam with them, and he had someone in mind, and that was Mike Starr, with whom Jerry had played in a band with. Sean then mentioned that his girlfriend was actually Mike Starr's sister, and that he had been playing in bands together with Starr since they were kids. Sean called Starr, and a few days later, he started jamming with him and Jerry, but they didn't have a singer. Lane's funk band also needed a guitarist at the time, and Lane asked Jerry to join as a sideman. Jerry agreed on one condition, and that would be if Lane would join his band, because Jerry, Starr, and Sean wanted Lane to be their lead singer. Eventually, the funk project broke up, and in 1987, Lane joined Jerry's band on a full-time basis. Two weeks after the band's formation, they played their first gig at Washington State University trying to fill out a 40-minute set with a couple of original songs along with Hanio Rocks and David Bowie covers. The band played a couple of gigs in clubs and around the Pacific Northwest, calling themselves a few different names, including Diamond Lie and Duck, but with an F instead of a D, before eventually adopting the name that Lane's previous band had initially flirted with, Alice in Chains. Lane contacted his former bandmates and asked for permission to use the name. A local promoter named Randy Hauser became aware of the band at a concert and offered to pay for demo recordings. But one day before the band was due to record at the studio in Washington, police shut down the studio during the biggest cannabis raid in the history of the state. Like. What the crap, man? I just, like, killed the momentum for a second. <laughs> the final demo completed in 1988 was named The Treehouse Tapes and found its way to manager Kelly Curtis and Susan Silver, who also managed the Seattle-based band Soundgarden. Curtis and Silver passed the demo on to Columbia Records. A&R representative Nick Terzo, I can't say it. Terzo. I was going to say he's Terzo. <laughs> well, anyway, he set up an appointment with the label's president, Don, 
Based on the Treehouse tapes, Nick signed Alice in Chains to Columbia Records in 1989. So the first album is Facelift, released August 21st, 1990 by Columbia Records and produced by Dave Jordan. Jerry said the album was intended to have a moody aurora that was a direct result in the brooding atmosphere and feel of Seattle. The track list is We Die Young, Man in the Box, Sea of Sorrow, Bleed the Freak, I Can't Remember, Love Hate Love, It Ain't Like That, Sunshine, Put You Down, Confusion, I Know Something, and Real Thing. For a total length of 54 minutes and 2 seconds, the album peaked at number 42 in the summer of 1991 on the billboards. It was the first album from the grunge movement to reach the top 50 in the American uh, billboards and was the first to be certified gold by the Record Industrial Association of America, you know, the RIAA, on September 11, 1991. It ended up going three times platinum. The critics loved it, but it was not a big success in the beginning. When MTV put Man in the Box in the daytime rotation, the album took off. Man in the Box hit number 18 on the mainstream rock charts and was nominated for Best Hard Rock Performance with Vocal Grammy Award in 1992 for Man in a Box. But lost to Van Halen, the music video for Man in the Box was nominated for Best Heavy Metal slash Hard Rock Video at the 1991 MTV Video Music Awards. The album won Best Debut Album at the 1991 Foundation Forum. The band opened for groups like Iggy Pop, Van Halen, Poison, and Extreme. In early 1991, Alice in Chains got the opening slot for The Clash at the Titans with Anthrax, Megadeth, and Slayer, exposing the band to a wide metal audience. Found them, all right, During the tour, the band found themselves with some hostile audience, however. Anthrax bassist Frank Bello recalls them earning the respect of the others by standing up for themselves. In March of 1992, the band returned to the studio to make their second album called Dirt, released September 29, 1992, by Columbia and produced by Dave Jordan again. The album was recorded during the Los Angeles riots that erupted following the acquittal of four LAPD officers caught on camera beating an unarmed black man, Rodney King, which I have spoke about this once before in Season 2 on the Megadeth episode, I believe Part 1 of the two Megadeth episodes. The riot started on the first day of recording. The band was watching the TV when the verdict was announced. Jerry was in a store buying some beer when a man came in and started looting the place. Jerry also got stuck in traffic and saw people pulling each other out of their cars and beating them. The band tried to get out of the town without getting hurt while LA was protesting against police brutality. They took Tom Araya of Slayer with them and they went to Joshua Tree's Desert for four or five days until things calmed down, then moved back into the studio and started recording the album. When recording the album, Lane had previously checked out of rehab and quickly went back to using heroin. 
Lane also was getting mad at Dave Jordan for always telling him to get some help and get sober. But Lane was not the only one who went through heavy drug use during this time. Sean Kinney and Mike Starr were also struggling with alcohol addiction. But to talk about the music, Dave Jordan got the album's famous guitarist sound by blending three different amps, which gave it that very cool sound. The track list is Them Bones, Damn That River, I didn't say the dirty word, I, you know, like the Hoover Dam is what I'm talking about. Rain When I Die, Down in a Hole, Sick Man, Rooster, Junkhead, Dirt, Godsmack, Intro Iron Gland, Hate to Feel, Angry Chair, and Wood for a total length of 57 minutes and 37 seconds. The album peaked at number 6 on the billboards and charted for 102 weeks ending at 196 in 1994. The album has gone five times platinum. The song Rooster was about Jerry's father who served in the Vietnam War and his childhood nickname was Rooster. It was a part of a healing process for Jerry. The critics love this album. At the 1993 Grammy Awards, Dirt received a nomination for Best Hard Rock Performance. The band also contributed the song Wood to the soundtrack of the 1992 movie called Singles. The video received an award for Best Video from a film in the 1993 MTV Video Music Awards. Alice in Chains were added as openers for Ozzy Osbourne's No More Tears tour. So like days before the tour began, Lane broke his foot in an ATV accident, forcing him to use crutches on stage which shows commitment. Well, during the tour, Mike Starr was fired on January 22, 1993 and was replaced by former Ozzy Osbourne bassist Mike Enzi. During June through August 1993, Alice in Chains joined Primus, Tool, Rage Against the Machines, and Babes in Toyland for the alternative music festival Lollapalooza. In April of 1993, the band recorded two songs with Mike Enzi for the Last Action Hero soundtrack, which is a very cool movie. So after this big successful tour and album, the band was just ready to get back to the studio to do really a EP album. It is called Jar of Flies, released on January 25th, 1994 by Columbia Records and produced by Alice in Chains themselves. So after the members returned home to Seattle from the tour, the band found out that they got evicted from their home after failing to pay the rent. So the band then moved into London Bridge Studio in Seattle. Jerry called producer Toby Wright with the proposal to collaborate on new material. Toby was down for it and booked 10 days in London Bridge Studio. But even though Jerry promised Toby... The band did not have any planned tracks before the session began. Sean had said, after playing loud music for a year, we come home and the last thing we want to do is crank up the amps right away. That stuff was written on buses and whenever we had downtime. We did Jar Flies to see how it was to record with Mike Enzi. We just went into the studio with no songs written to check the chemistry and it all fell into the right place. 
The sound and the tones was really good. The first sessions took place September 7, 1993. The album's sessions lasted 14 to 18 hours a day, and recording was completed within seven days. The album was recorded on tape on a Neve 8068 mixing console because Toby wanted the album's acoustic sound to be as natural as possible. The album's tracks were mostly recorded within one to two takes. The album's acoustic guitar sound was the main focus. To help with the sound, Sean sometimes used brushes to obtain a softer feel. The track list is Rotten Apple, Nutshell, I Stay Away, No Excuses, Whale and Wasp, Don't Follow, and Swing on This for a total length of 30 minutes and 49 seconds. The album debuted at number one on the billboards and the sales was over 141,000 copies during the first week. It was the first ever EP and first Alice in Chains release to top the charts. The album has gone four times platinum. Again, the album was very well liked by critics. Rolling Stone said it was darkly gorgeous and Steve Huey stated Jars of Flies is a low-key stunner, achingly gorgeous and harrowingly sorrowful all at once. The album was nominated for a Grammy Award for Best Recording Package in 1995, but lost to Buddy Jackson. The single I Stay Away was nominated for Best Hard Rock Performance. After the release of the album, Lane went to rehab for heroin addiction. The band was supposed to tour during the summer of 94 with Metallica, Suicide Tendencies, Danzig, and Fight, as well as a slot during Woodstock 94. But while in rehearsal for the tour, Lane began using heroin again. Lane's condition prompted the other band members to cancel all scheduled dates one day before the start of the tour, putting the band on hiatus. Alice in Chains was replaced by Candlebox on the tour. The band broke up for six months due to this. So while they were broke up, Lane joined another band and did an album. Kind of one of those like super group band things, but that was short-lived. Alice in Chains got back together in April of 1995. So the third album is Alice in Chains, but referred to as the Dog Album. It was released on November 7, 1995 by Columbia Records and produced by Toby Wright. So a few of the songs on the album had been written before the sessions began. So Jerry had material and that material was used as a starting point. The band would then give the demo tapes to Lane so he could write lyrics. As with their past albums, the album's songs focused on heavy subject matters such as depression, isolation, drug use, relationship, anger, and death. The album was finished in August of 1995. Jerry said, and I quote, It was often depressing, and getting it done felt like pulling hair out, but it was the effing coolest thing, and I'm glad to have gone through it, and I will cherish it forever. Then Lane said I will cherish it forever too just because this one I can remember doing. During the recording of the album, Lane was severely addicted to heroin and was often late or absent for recording and rehearsal sessions. 
The band's manager, Susan Silver, said, and I quote again, It was a really painful session because it took so long. It was horrifying to see Lane in that condition. Yet, yet when he was sober, he was the sweetest bright-eyed guy you ever wanted to meet. To be in a meeting with him and have him fall asleep in front of you was gut-wrenching. While in the studio, a rough mix of one of their songs was leaked to the radio and received major airplay. The track list is Grind, Brush Away, Sludge Factory, Heaven Beside You, Head Creeps, Again, Shame in You, God Am, So Close, Nothing Song, Frogs, and Over Now for a total length of 64 minutes and 48 seconds. The album debuted at number one on the billboards and stayed on the charts for 46 weeks. The album also went double platinum. The album was liked, but was not as well liked as the previous albums. A few of the songs got nominated for Grammys for, like, you know, Best Hard Rock Performance in 96 and 97. Alice in Chains performed four shows supporting the reunited original KISS lineup for the 1996 to 1997 Alive slash World Tour, including the final live appearance of Lane on July 3rd, 1996 in Kansas City, Missouri. Lane was found unresponsive after he overdosed on heroin and was taken to the hospital. He did live from this, but the band went on hiatus. Lane became a homebody. He rarely left his Seattle home because the death of his ex-fiance due to a drug overdose on October 29, 1996. Lane told Rolling Stones in February of 96, Drugs worked for me for years and now they're turning against me. Now I'm working through hell and this sucks. I didn't want my fans to think that heroin was cool. But then I've had fans come up to me and give me the thumbs up telling me they're high and that's exactly what I didn't want to happen. Everyone worked on side projects and that sort of stuff. Columbia Records released a box set of the greatest hits and interviews. You know, the usual type stuff. The band did so many different things over the next few years. By 2002, Jerry said it was possible for Alice in Chains to hook back up. But on April 19, 2002, Lane was found dead in his home. The autopsy and toxology report on Lane's body revealed that he had died from a mixture of heroin and cocaine. The autopsy concluded that Lane actually died on April 5th, two weeks prior before his body was ever found. Such a horrible thing. Uh, drugs really can mess you up. Uh, it's just... It's one of them things, man. You know, it, it feels good at first, but then just it screws with you so much. You know, because you want that high. You want to feel good. And then you sit there and you keep doing it and doing it and doing it, looking for that good, and then you're just slowly deteriorating. It's, it's a horrible thing. Anyway, the band just went their separate ways. In 2005, Sean got the surviving members back together for a benefit concert, and it was the first time the group had done a show in nine years. Well, it went over very well, and the group wanted to tour again. So the band did a small tour with guest singers everywhere they went. Well, in 2006, Jerry wanted 
a full-time singer. He had a guy in mind named William Duvall that he had met in 2000, but Sean and Mike had invited two other guys to jam with. They did the jam sessions, but it didn't feel right. Also, Scott Whalen of Stone Temple Pilots and Velvet Revolver was interested in joining the band, but in the end, Jerry asked Duvall to join the band as the singer. Duvall came in and jammed with the band, and it was an instant chemistry. The band did quite a few different TV appearances and toured over the next couple of years to let Duvall settle in and fans get used to him. On September 14, 2008, something big happened. Allison Chains performed at the halftime show during the Seattle Seahawks and the San Francisco 49ers game in Seattle. The 12-minute performance for the crowd of 67,000 people featured a cover of Led Zeppelin's Cashmere accompanied by the Northwest Symphony Orchestra, which is definitely cool. So then it was announced that Alice in Chains was heading into the studio to make their fourth album, and it's called Black Gives Ways to Blue, released on September 29, 2009 by Virgin slash EMI Records instead of Columbia. It was produced by Nick uh, Rasculency. Um, Nick Weird Name. You know how I am. These weird names. <laughs> anyway, recording began on October 23rd, 2008 at the Foo Fighters Studio 606. The band did not have a record label at the time and the album was funded by Jerry and Sean. In December of 2008, they moved to the Henson Recording Studio in Los Angeles. What was cool was Lane's mother, Nancy, was supportive of the band's decision to move on and visited them during their recording sessions. In April of 2009, Jerry told at the Revolver's Golden God Award show that Alice in Chains had finished recording the album on March 18, 2009 and were in the process of mixing it for a September release. Elton John recorded the piano tracks for one of the songs in the Las Vegas studio on April 23, 2009. Which is kind of cool, if you ask me. Uh, Elton John, is he's iconic. Their manager, David, began going to record labels with the sampling of four or five songs from the new sessions. And the offers started coming in from every major label. The band eventually signed with Virgin slash EMI, like I said before. I love that this little nugget that I am about to tell you. So Chris Cornell and Allison Chain's former manager Susan Silver's daughter asked about the name for the album. She wanted to know what it meant. So Susan told her to ask Jerry. So she called Jerry. Jerry told her... Sometimes there is a very dark and challenging times in life, and it may seem like things will never get better, but if you stay strong and keep moving forward and look out on the horizon, you'll start to see a little point of light way out there, and slowly the black would give way to blue, which is such a great and powerful thing right there. It's so very true. I feel like we all have gone through something in our lives. And it's just that right there, that explanation, it, it just, it's powerful. 
that little girl grew up and is now in the music scene. On December 1st, 2020, Cornell Silver, her stage name, made her musical debut performing the song along with Chris Dergamo at the Mopop Founders Awards. This was a tribute to Alice in Chains following the introduction by her mother, which brings it full circle. Such a beautiful moment. But let's go back to 2009. The track list is All Secrets Known, Check My Brain, Last of My Kind, Your Decision, A Looking in View, When the Sun Rose Again, Asset Bubbles, Lesson Learned, Take Her Out, Private Hell, and Black Gives Way to Blue for a total length of 54 minutes and 12 seconds. The album debuted at number 5 on the Billboard, selling 126,000 copies in its first week. It also went gold. Critics were very positive on reviews. The album was voted number 2 on Kerrang's Top 20 Albums of 2009 list and on Metal Hammer's Top 50 Albums of the Year list. Also, it was number 7 on Kerrang's 50 Best Albums of 2009. The album won the 2010 Revolver's Magazine Golden God Awards in the category Album of the Year. In September of 2008, it was announced that Alice in Chains would headline Australia's Soundwave Festival in 2009. In February of 2009, it was also announced that Alice in Chains would play at the third annual Rock on the Range Festival. So, some big shows for them here. On August 1st, 2009, Alice in Chains performed along with Mastodon, Avenged Sevenfold, Glinder, and Marley Park at Dublin as an opener for Metallica. Alice in Chains toured the United States and Canada in late 2010 on the Black Diamond Sky Tour. On March 8, 2011, former Alice in Chains bassist Mike Starr was found dead at his home in Salt Lake City. Police told them that they were called to Starr's home at 1.42 p.m. and found his body. Starr was 44 years old. Reports later surfaced that Starr's roommate had seen him mixing methadone and anxiety medication hours before he was found dead. Later reports indicate that Starr's death may have been linked to two different types of antidepressants prescribed to him by his doctor which this sucks for sure since they were all good friends well 12 days later the band announced that they were working on their fifth album the fifth album is the devil put dinosaurs here released on may 28 2013 by capitol records another label change and produced by nick weird name again you know screw that guy's weird name <laughs> The recording process got put on hold due to Jerry having shoulder surgery, which put him out for like eight months. He couldn't even play the guitar while recuperating at his home in a sling. Jerry had a riff in his head and sang it into his phone because he couldn't play it. And in my opinion, the song he sang is the best one on the album. So to be honest, there's not much more about the recording process of this record. They was just being themselves and made a unique record here. The track list is Hollow, Pretty Done, Stone, Voices, The Devil Put Dinosaurs Here, 
lab monkey, low ceilings, breathe on a window, scalpel, phantom limb, hung on a hook, and choke for a total length of 67 minutes and 17 seconds. The album debuted at number two on the billboards, which was the band's highest charting position since their self-titled album, Alice in Chains. It sold 61,000 copies in the first week, and it did not go gold or platinum, but the album received positive reviews from music critics. Loudwired said that the veteran rockers proved they can sustain their excellence. While all the things they would expect from Alice in Chains, sludgy guitars, haunting melodies, dark lyrics, are on the disc, the band shows that they can still put out a fresh spin on their sound. To promote the album, Alice in Chains teamed up with Funny or Die for an 11-minute mockumentary called AIC 23, sort of like The Office, in which film studios professor Alan Poe McLard, played by W. Earl Brown, attempts to make a documentary on Alice in Chains without any help from the actual band, interviewing other musicians instead. Along them are country singers Donnie Skeeter Dolly High Jr., played by Jerry Cantrell, reggae singer Nesta Cleveland, played by William Duvall. This one's really funny. Black metal singer Unta Gleben, Globin, 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 played by Mike Enzi, and the hipster Stanley Etson, played by Sean Kenny. The video was released on April 3rd, 2013, and also featured cameos by Anne and Nancy Wilson from Heart, Mike McCready from Pearl Jam, Kim Tylan of Soundgarden, Duff McKagan of Guns N' Roses, Brent Hens and Bill Klinger of Mastodon, and Lars Ulrich and Robert Cherulo from Metallica. Alice in Chains toured in the United States, Canada, and Europe in 2013 and 2014. In May of 2013, the band co-headlined the annual MMRBQ Festival with Soundgarden in Camden, New Jersey. On January 18, 2015, Alice in Chains performed in the halftime show of the NFC Championship game between the Seattle Seahawks and the Green Bay Packers at CenturyLink Field in Seattle. Jerry is a lifelong Seahawks fan. In August of 2015, Mike Enzi said that the band had been throwing around riffs for a new record and taking it nice and slow. The band toured in the summer of 2015 and in the summer of 2016, including select shows for Guns N' Roses as part of the Not In This Lifetime tour, the band finished their 2016 tour with a concert at the Grand Sierra Resort and Casino in Reno, Nevada on October 8, 2016. In the beginning of 2017, the band went back to Seattle to work on their sixth album called Rainier Fog, released August 24, 2018 by BMG, another label and produced by Nick Weirdname. So Alice in Chains would return to Studio X in Seattle to record their new album, 
and after recording at Studio X in Seattle, the band went to Nashville and recorded vocals and lead guitars at Nick's home studio. But Jerry had to take an unexpected break from work after getting sick on a trip to Cabo San Lucas in Mexico to celebrate Sammy Hagar's birthday. Jerry ate something bad and then was prescribed antibiotics that his body rejected, sidelining him for six weeks to recover back in Los Angeles. Jerry had engineer Paul Figueroa come into his house and record a lot of his vocals and solos there. The band finished the recording of the album at the Henson Recording Studio in Los Angeles. Jerry also said that he expected the album to be released sometime in the summer. He almost made it. August is still really hot here, but, you know, it's not technically still summer, it's technically fall. The track list is The One You Know, Rainier Fog, Red Giant, Fly, Drone, Deaf Ears, Blind Eyes, Maybe, So Far Under, Never Fade, and All I Am for a total length of 53 minutes and 21 seconds. The album debuted at number 12 on the Billboard, selling 31,000 copies in the first week. It got positive reviews. Revolver Magazine said the album delivers something of old and new fans alike and leaves listeners with a feeling of great anticipation and optimism about what the future holds for the Seattle band. Loudwire said it was the best album from this new lineup. On August 20th, 2018, the baseball team Seattle Manners hosted a special Alice in Chains night at the Safeco Field in Seattle to promote Rainier Fog. With the team offering the fans a package that included the Safeco Field Terrence Club ticket, access to pregame listening party of the album, and Alice in Chains t-shirt and Rainier Fog CD. Jerry also threw out the ceremonial first pitch and delivered a strike before the Seattle Manors and the Houston Astros game. On August 22, 2018, Alice in Chains sent fans on a scavenger hunt to access a secret gig that the band would be performing in Seattle on August 24th. Ten signed CD copies of Rainier Fog were hidden around the city as a ticket into the show, and the band asked the fans to keep an eye out on their Instagram story for details on the ten hidden locations. Once all ten albums were found, the band revealed that the secret gig would be at the rock club The Crocodile with limited tickets available with the purchase of their album at a pop-up event at the same venue the next day, which is very cool. The band also commemorated and released the album with a pop-up museum at The Crocodile in Seattle on August 23rd and 24th. The museum featured rare Alice in Chains photos, limited edition merchandise, and memorabilia that showcased the band's 30-year uh, career. On December 1st, 2020, Alice in Chains was honored with the Founders Award from Seattle's Museum of Pop Culture. The benefit concert featured tribute performances from artists such as Ann Wilson, Korn, Metallica, Fishbone, Dallas Green, Billy Corgan, Tad Dole, and members of Soundgarden and Pearl Jam, among others. 
The event was made available for streaming for free and raised more than $600,000 for the museum in the first night. Duvall said that Alice in Chains will begin working on their seventh album later in the year. So, we have new music on the way. Well guys, you guys are caught up on the Seattle-based band, Alice in Chains. It was very cool learning about Jerry, in my opinion. He seems like a pretty well-rounded guy. The band has made such great music over the years and influenced so many people. Uh, I, I remember the first song I ever heard was Man in a Box. And that, to me, is still like one of the best jams. Uh, I remember my boss that I used to have years ago, he was really into Rooster. Um, and Which, I mean, it's alright. I'm not a big Rooster fan, but it is a good song. And William Duvall, I mean, dude, he's done good since he's been with them. I really enjoy uh, Voices, Stoned, and Your Decision. Those are some good songs. So, let's talk about my top five albums. Coming in at number five, I'm going to have to say, is probably the Dog album. Number four is Black Gives Way to Blue. Number three, The Devil Put Dinosaurs Here. Number two, Dirt. And number one is Facelift. This is my top five, in my opinion, guys. And it is what it is. <laughs> so, guys, you do not want to miss out on this next episode, as I will be discussing the band Shinedown. And they hold a very special place in my heart. So be sure you're here on the next episode to hear about Shinedown. In the meantime, if you want any updates on anything, you can head over to History of the Bands on TikTok and on Instagram. And on Instagram, there's the link to go to Linktree. You can get you guys some shirts, a hat, or you can get you guys some better help. You know, you get 10% off when you use the promo code history of the bands so i really ain't got much else to say like i said make sure you come in next time for shinedown but at the end of this episode we're gonna have to say class dismissed history of the bands <laughs>